Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey, hey, Tamara here, your host, innovation lover, and the person with a wild and crazy dream to unleash 1 million everyday innovators into the world. And guess what? Listening to this podcast makes you a part of that 1 million. So congratulations to you and to the impact and everything you do out in the world. I want to share a story with you that I was reminded of recently, and it was actually one of the experiences that Um, had me accelerate the creation of the Innovation Quotient Edge assessment. And it was a cold slap in the face moment. But I think we all have those, don't we? Those moments where it just, we can't ignore what someone's trying to say to us or the direction that we should be going in or the power of an idea. And I hope that as you're hearing this story, you think about those moments in your world where you get that slap across the face or that aha moment And I hope that you don't ignore those. If I had ignored this moment I'm about to share with you, I don't think I would have ever created the IQE, the assessment. I don't think I've ever been able to have the impact that I've had on the world that I'm so thankful for. So here's what happened. So early on in my career, so long after advertising and brand strategy and innovation, new product development, um, I was heading up a brand strategy firm. I used to get taught an innovation firm and I used to get asked to speak a lot. So here I am, I've got, you know, years of innovation under my belt, and I've been asked to speak to this group to help them drive more innovation in their world. This was, let's say, let's say 15 years into my career, I'm about 25-ish, and more, a little, and maybe counting it years in now. And I'm on stage, and I feel like I'm crushing it. I'm talking about all the usual suspects, right? Apple, Um, Google, Amazon, Uber, like fill in the blank, right? You you get it. It's all the ones that we all know to be innovative. And I'm talking about how, you know, Google gives their people 20% to do whatever they want. And Amazon has these other programs. And, you know, this other company has meditation rooms. And I'm going on and on. And I feel so good. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff. People are getting great. This is, yeah, like crushing it. And the crowd is engaged. They're into it. We have a great time. And they applaud. And I get off stage, you know, a little bit proud of myself. And this woman comes up to me. And before I even got off the steps, she starts talking. She says, you know, Tamara, I love what you had to say. And yeah, all those things are super innovative. And that's great. But how does it apply to me? And I said, what do you mean? In my head, I'm thinking, what do you mean? Like, all that stuff is innovation. You're innovation, like, obviously. And she goes, well, how am I supposed to innovate in my job? I don't work at one of those super innovative companies. She was, by the way, in a very non-sexy kind of, let's call it manufacturing style industry, right? They do incredible stuff, but not the Apples and the Googles and the Ubers of the world or Airbnbs even. She said, I don't, I don't understand how any of this applies to me. What can I, we'll call her Lisa. What can I, Lisa, do to be more innovative in the job that I have? And I was taken back. And that moment was the first moment that I realized wow, what's missing is people, you and me, realizing how incredibly innovative we are. And shame on me, I'm up there talking about these big, lofty, subjective concepts, 
that aren't going to fly in 99% of, of the places that we work or our entrepreneurial businesses that we're trying to launch. And there was this huge disconnect between this kind of narrative of innovation out there of it being hard and blue skies, and disruptive and complicated and these big lofty things and the truth. And the truth being that innovation is for everybody and is everywhere. So Lisa, thank you. Because that was that moment that made me go, oh my gosh, there's a huge opportunity here to build a tool that makes people realize how powerful they are and how innovative they are. And that makes people see and gives me a reason to have the conversation around innovation being in those things that are right in front of us. As you all know, if you've listened for a while, the definition that we use in my company when we work with clients and really that we put out into the world, the, the definition that we want to, the narrative that we want everybody to buy into to crack this like innovations for the select few and the big like Silicon Valley companies, the definition is this, thinking differently about what's right in front of you to create an advantage. Think about that for a second. As I look around my desk and the things that I have to do, that means being innovative and in how I'm, you know, crafting my language on the website to my to-do list, to the new product I want to put out in the marketplace, to the ebook I'm, I'm writing, all of it. Thinking differently about what's right in front of you. And Lisa gave me a cold, hard lesson about the gap. But here's the lesson I, I hope you take out of it. First of all, pay attention to those moments when people have pain and frustration. Look for the gaps. And number two, I think this is kind of a layer on one is listen with an open heart and an open mind. It's very easy. I, I could have very easily. And in fact, this is where my head originally went, which was like, Lisa, don't you get it? You're innovative. So you can do all these things. Just apply it to your job. Like do it a little differently. That shuts down innovation when that voice starts to get defensive and not see what other people are saying. I'm so thankful. I listened to Lisa and listened to her pain and her frustration because that's what led to the entire trajectory of our business and the success that we've had. So listen to people's pain openly, look for the gaps on what's being done now versus what people need. What's being done now versus what people need. There's incredible room for innovation and success in those gaps. Okay, speaking of gaps, we had an incredible week of people who filled the gaps and bucked the status quo and drove innovation. So I'm going to dig into each one of those and I'm going to talk about my, my aha moment with them. And for those of you who are new to the podcast, first of all, hey, second, know that the reason I share kind of my big aha out of it is because I want you, first of all, if you didn't listen to the podcast and if you're thinking, oh, that resonates with me, I want you to go back and listen to it. You can always scroll back. But also I want you to take a nugget away that you can put into action. I'm all about experimentation and testing and trying. I'm, my whole life is an experiment. So on some of these, it's going to be a mindset shift. On some of them, it's an action I took and what came out of it. So what do you say we dig in? So we had four incredible everyday innovators this week, and I'm going to start on Monday and work my way through. So let's start with Monday and our innovator, Paul Verreter, who works in the credit union space. He's a learning leader at a credit union. So Paul's a futuristic risk taker. So what that means is futuristic, it's forced through the trees. They really innovate by translating today's problems into tomorrow's opportunities and ideas. They're very much about 10 steps ahead about what's next. It's like they see the future, love to create the future. 
And the risk taker is all about innovating in the uncomfortable. In fact, risk takers innovate better when they're uncomfortable and the pressure's on. In fact, they often create false pressure for themselves to be able to innovate versus kind of when they're safe and comfortable, so to speak. So that combination, the magic and the futuristic risk taker is they bring forward, bold innovation to the table. Now, here was my big aha from interviewing Paul. Paul talked about what he called going analog. And what he meant by that was actually not just telling people your ideas or even presenting in the traditional format your ideas where it's still kind of, you know, one dimension on screen, but actually showing them. And he told a story that I hope you'll go back and listen to about string and index cards and how he used that to show this team everything that it took to get this one project done because we would the, and I was actually on this team. This is how I know Paul. And this stuck with me for years. So why I had him on the show, the team and this project that we were working on, we ended up in silos. Some people weren't getting credit for what they did. Others were getting too much credit. Um, we were being redundant in places, inefficient in places. So he brings this string with all these index cards and every task that it takes to do this one project every month to this meeting. And there's like this living room of string and index cards of all different colors. Each color represented a different person. It was so powerful. That was three, four, maybe even longer than that. I, Paul and I couldn't remember the years. It was so powerful to see in real time the idea that he was trying to communicate so that we could actually innovate against it. And I will tell you, we came up with some incredible solutions that day. And I promise you that had he done a PowerPoint presentation or just chalked through the challenges we were facing, we would have been stuck on the same hamster wheel. How many times have you had that where you're trying to communicate either maybe challenges that you and your team face or opportunities that are ahead of them to get the want-want look and thumbs down in return? I suggest taking a page out of Paul's book, try going analog. So after I... I had my interview with Paul, I thought to myself, you know, I do a pretty good job being interactive with people and getting people to talk and thinking of creative ways to kind of communicate my point. But it's been a little while since I've truly gone analog like that with something. So I thought I would kind of mimic what Paul did. And I had this team that I was working with and they kind of had some silos going on and they had some frustration with how some things were getting done and they felt like there was a better way to do this process. So they weren't necessarily siloed in the like no trust way. They just, everybody was running, running, running with their head down. So I gave everybody a different color pad of sticky notes. And on each one, they wrote everything that they do to move this idea forward, this project forward. And then I had them on the wall map out how the project works today. They were blown away, same the way I was in that meeting with Paul. Then I had them rearrange the sticky notes in a way that would be more efficient. Then I had them redo the sticky notes in a way that would be even more efficient. So in this case, they kept some of the sticky notes and added new ones. I have to tell you, they got so much out of that. It was incredible. So there they were, all the sticky notes on the wall. They're blown away by the inefficiency and how they're operating then they're blown away by the opportunities they have to just even rearrange that a little bit to be 10% better. And then they're blown away by how they rearranged them, took some off and added different things, took some away when they realized, no, we don't need this. Why do we even do this anymore? This is a legacy process. It was so cool to watch them do this. So the big aha I had from Paul, that I just want to say thanks, Paul, for is go analog. And hey, you know what? If you're in a virtual meeting, there's plenty of... Um, 
whiteboard type functions that you can use to try to mimic a similar thing. In fact, I was working with an incredible group over at Crestcom. They did some videos of my work that they then sent to their clients. And one of the things they did was to show how communicating without like understanding how other people work or how they think and in silos as hard as they had people have to build a house together on the whiteboard, but with no communication at all. So you would just see people moving stuff and then someone would move it back and then someone would change it. And it was so powerful. So you can mimic this online too, but take a page out of Paul's book, go analog. First of all, it's an incredibly creative way to bring your idea and your thinking to life. And also it leads to incredible innovation. Thanks for that, Paul. All right, next up on Tuesday, we have Casey Clark, who is the CEO of Cultivate Advisors. So Cultivate Advisors is a, a conglomerate of advisors that works with small, mid-sized business owners to help them find their innovation, their lever points and grow. Now, Casey is an instinctual imaginative. So the instinctual side is all about connecting dots in new and meaningful ways, very circuitous thinking, very gut feeling, very A to B to X over Y back to A. They tend to be very insightful because they're connecting things, seeing patterns that the rest of us don't see. And the imaginative side is all about innovation in the gaps, novel innovation. So that instinctual imaginative, the magic in that is it brings connective novel innovation to the table. By the way, do you see how that's totally different than Paul, where Paul is a futuristic risk taker, which is forward and bold innovation? Totally different. So Casey had a lot of great insights in his interview that I would encourage you to go listen to. But there was one thing in particular that he said that, that really made me have a mind shift, mindset shift. And he said that imposter syndrome isn't about getting over it, which is kind of what I was thinking. He said, we go out, we try a few things, we fail, and imposter syndrome takes over, meaning like we acquire imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome over time. And then he said this, and this is what blew my mind. The real question is, what's your resiliency to work through the times you'll fail before letting imposter syndrome take over? And we go on to talk about how he's saying we acquire it, but those who really push through, who innovate, have a longer threshold. It's about getting through imposter syndrome, not getting over imposter syndrome. That made me feel so much better because, yo, I feel like I have imposter syndrome every single day. Every day I'm like, oh my gosh, am I worthy? Am I good enough? Is this you know article I'm writing smart enough? Will they love it enough? Um, who am I to be asked to speak on this stage? I mean, it goes on, right? We all have it. And, and some of the things that I used to have imposter syndrome for, I don't anymore and new things crop up. So I loved what he said because it made me feel like if I just keep moving forward, I'll just get through the imposter syndrome, that it's okay. Like this isn't an all or none. I think it's a little bit like being fearless versus pushing through fear. So the reality is you can't be fearless. We're hardwired for fear. It's human nature. It is part of our design so that we go, ah, there's a saber toothed tiger in the jungle or, oh my gosh, our house is on fire, right? Fear is good. It helps us move quickly. So I always used to get frustrated when people tell me to be fearless because I always felt like I failed because I could never get rid of the fear. I still have it. And that's when I realized, well, that's ridiculous. I'm setting myself up to failure. I should, for, fa for failure, I shouldn't be fearless. I should work through fear. And that's what he's saying with imposter syndrome. Just a great mind shift, mindset shift for me. So if you're out there and you're thinking, wow, I'm really suffering through imposter syndrome. I, why can't I get over this? I hope that you'll think about it a little differently. I hope instead you'll think, how do I push through this? How do I build my resiliency muscle 
to get over the imposter syndrome that I'm feeling. So thanks for that, Casey. For me, that was a huge, like mind blown moment of, okay, if I just think about this differently, it doesn't have to impact me so much. In fact, it's pretty easy to deal with imposter syndrome when I know I'm just pushing through it. That's all. That's fine. I hope you are too. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff Zoe is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy's CBD treats contain natural ingredients including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code Tamara. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. All right, then on Wednesday, we have a very different innovator than the other two. We have Nelly Yusupova, who is an inquisitive collaborative. So Nelly is the founder of TechSpeak for Entrepreneurs. She has a long career in the IT tech space. And Nelly is an inquisitive collaborative. So the inquisitive is all about innovations and the questions, not the answers. Very challenging of assumptions. They always want to know why, how come, what if. Like they're just always pushing limits by asking questions. The collaborative side is all about pulling disparate people, ideas, and experiences together to create a whole innovation. I always think of collaboratives as like, they're pulling, they're consuming all this information and then they're kind of rearranging it inside their box to come up with innovation. So the magic in that combination of inquisitive collaborative is it brings deep, whole innovation to the table. So here's the thing that um, I really appreciate about my conversation with Nelly. She actually had a few kind of like meme worthy, like I need to put them on Instagram moments, comments that she said that kind of blew my mind. But I want to focus on one of them in particular. She said, her motto is you should never fear what you don't know. Let me say that again. It's so powerful. You should never fear what you don't know. Love that. You know why I love that? Because like a lot of us, I spend a lot of time 
worried about things that haven't happened and more often don't happen. Or sometimes maybe we make those happen. It's like self-fulfilling prophecy. We worry about them so much that we make them come true because, you know, where you focus is that's your attention, right? That's what happens. And I loved her motto of like, you never fear what you don't know, because why bother? It's wasted time and energy. Go back and listen to her whole comments around this. They're really insightful. And it was just a great reminder to me to not let Bernard, that's my lizard brain, I call him Bernard, as you know, to not let him take over and start to panic and worry about things that are not even in existence yet and probably won't be in existence yet. Now, I'm all for scenario planning, like, all right, let's role play this worst case scenario, best case scenario. But that's different than worrying about or fearing things that haven't even happened. So that week after I interviewed Nellie, I thought, you know what? I'm going to really pay attention to how often I worry about things that haven't yet happened. And I'm going to put a check mark every time it does. No joke, I filled up a whole page. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but it's true. A whole page of times where it's like I sent an email and before I even like hit send, I'm like, oh, what if they take this the wrong way? What if they take that the wrong way? What if they don't like it? What if I ask for too much money? What if they ask for too little money? Like, I mean, the list goes on. I just, I, I am notorious for it. And her motto of like, all right, Tamara, don't fear what you don't know, gave me a lot more ease. Here's the thing. It actually opened up space for more innovation because I've spent, instead of expending my energy worrying about what may or may not happen, I was expending energy thinking about, solutions and possibilities in a positive way. So I want to thank you, Nelly, for that, because that was super powerful. Never fear what you don't know. It's wasted time and energy. I heard a stat somewhere that uh, 89% of what we worry about never comes into fruition. What a lot of wasted energy. Instead of doing that, let's put our energy to creating and to innovating, developing and pushing ourselves forward. Never fear what you don't know. And last but not least, we have David Kahn, who's the CEO of Ripsaw Wealth Tools. It's online wealth management. He wants to democratize financial knowledge. How cool is that? So David is an inquisitive futuristic. So the inquisitive is all about digging deep, challenging assumptions, pulling back the layers of the onion. They're really good at questioning status quo, why things are the way they are, and asking those questions that really remove those layers of assumptions. And then the futuristic is all about tomorrow land. It's all about looking to the future. Futuristics tend to be 10 steps ahead. They're always thinking and talking about the impact things are going to make because they can see kind of that ripple effect out or that future path. So the magic in David's innovation style, inquisitive futuristic, is that he brings deep forward innovation to the table. Now, David talked about a lot of different things, and he comes from a background of corporate, but also um, he and his family started up this company, Ripsaw Wealth Tools. And he said one thing that really spoke to me that I just made me go, oh, what a great way to think about it. He said this, he said that you should be automating yourself out of a job. And I thought a little bit about that. And I thought about how oftentimes there's a lot of tasks that I do that could probably be automated. And it got me thinking about not just the tasks that I do, but why I do them. And I realized that perhaps I'm a little bit of a control freak and that's why I do the tasks I do all the time. And it got me thinking about what if I, what if I approached my day with what in everything that I do today can I automate? What can I get off my plate? And so here's what I did after interviewing David. I spent three days 
and I wrote down every single task that I do. And I mean everything. I mean, from the moment I woke up to the moment I passed out at night, everything. And I started to look at all the things of like, what could I automate? What, what in all of these tasks are things that I'm holding onto that I don't need to, that if I had a system behind it or an automation behind it would make my life a lot better and maybe free up some time even. And so after going through my list, first of all, there are a lot of tasks on there that I simply don't need to be doing. So that was eye-opening in itself. But there were about five or six in there that I realized, oh, hey, I could automate this. And here's the funny thing about it. It's not that I didn't know they could be automated. It's not that I was naive to the fact that there were some automation tools out there that could help me with what I was trying to do. Part of it, I think, was just me being a little bit of a control person. But part of it was me just not ever having the time or the bandwidth or, or putting the energy into thinking about it. So thanks to David, I have now gone through all my days going, what can I automate? What can I take myself out of? What can become a job that I don't have to do? As he said, how can I automate myself out of this job? And those five or six tasks that I have now automated have freed up about an hour of my day. An hour every single day. That is, let's just... Let's just say I work five days a week. We all know I work seven, but let's say I work five for a minute. That's five extra hours. That's half of my waking day. Like what? That's incredible. So thank you, David, for that. And the question I have for all of you listening is what can you automate yourself out of? Can you set the coffee pot to go versus having to make the coffee? Can you do automated emails that allow, pe- that allow people to get the responses they need on the questions they always ask and you know they're always going to ask? Whatever it is, I think those automations don't have to be these huge like CRM systems. They can be these tiny little things that add up like it did for me. It was amazing. Amazing. I'm going to automate myself out of most everything I do. And here's the other thing I discovered, by the way. In automating myself out of these jobs, I gave myself room to be more creative. It's like I just I had more mental bandwidth and more time, some real physical time to actually do the things that I want to do and that I'm actually good at, which is creative problem solving and strategic thinking. That's what I'm good at. Not hitting reply emails and answering the same thing over and over again. Why would I do that? So I hope you do that. I hope you will take the time to make a list of all the things that you do. And I'm talking like get to the nitty gritty and then look at those and see, are there just a couple in here that I could automate? Give myself some time and energy back. All right, everybody, what a fantastic week yet again. Thank you for joining me. We have another incredible lineup coming your way next week. So stay tuned. Tamara, out. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tamara will be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listeners, listens bigger impact until next time